Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. My name is Jeff Krasnow. Today on the Commune podcast, we feature Anita Murjani, a woman with a remarkable story. After a four-year battle with cancer, Anita fell into a coma, and doctors believed she had but days to live. During her near-death experience, Anita was given a powerful truth. Heaven is not a destination. It is a state of being. In this other realm, Anita was also given a choice to return to her physical form or continue on. She chose to return. And when she regained consciousness, her cancer began to heal. What follows is Anita's hour-long commune masterclass on choosing to live from love rather than fear. If you resonate with Anita's insights, I encourage you to explore her full course on commune. You'll get access by signing up for a free trial at onecommune.com trial. That's O-N-E commune.com slash trial. Here is Anita Murjani on how to live fearlessly. Hi, my name is Anita Murjani and I wanted to share with you an experience of mine, a life experience that I had, which I feel could be helpful for you. I'm not a guru or anything like that. I'm not a spiritual guru. I'm just a regular person, just like you. But I experienced something that not a lot of people have. And it started with me being diagnosed with cancer, with lymphoma, back in 2002. And over a period of four years, the cancer progressed and it metastasized. It started with a tumor, it started with a lump on my left shoulder, but then as it spread, I ended up having tumors, some of them the size of lemons, from the base of my skull, all around my neck, under my arms, in my chest, and all the way down to my abdomen. So this had progressed over a period of four years. And you can imagine how fearful I felt as the cancer was progressing. And I know there is so much awareness about cancer these days, and a lot of people fear cancer. I feared it. I feared it even before I was diagnosed with cancer. It was one of my biggest fears. I also feared the treatment of cancer. And so at first I refused to have chemotherapy or radiation because my best friend had been diagnosed with cancer and she went through um, all the possible conventional treatments like chemotherapy, radiation, and she had gone to the top hospitals in the world, like she had the best treatment that money can buy, but her cancer didn't heal. In fact, as I watched her go through the treatments, I saw her health deteriorate. It was like the treatment was as bad as the disease. And so as I watched her deteriorate, I became fearful of the disease as well as the treatment. 
Finally, my friend succumbed to the disease and she died. And that, on that day, I remember I was so distraught, so sad and so fearful. I was fearful because at that point I had been diagnosed with cancer myself. And I felt that was the fate that lay ahead of me. And I'm sure that a lot of you listening in either have, ha have experienced cancer or know someone who's experienced cancer. So maybe you know a little bit about how it feels. So at first, I refused chemotherapy and conventional medicines. And I wanted to try every kind of alternative medicine. I tried everything. I tried um, Chinese medicine. I tried Ayurveda. I tried yoga. I tried detoxing. I did. I went completely vegan. I did the wheatgrass juice shots every single day. Everything worked for a little while, and then I would relapse back. The cancer would come back. It felt that every time I tried something new, it would it would work just for a little bit, and then the cancer would relapse. By the end of four years, it kept relapsing, and every time it relapsed, it would be worse than previously. And by the end of four years, I was in such a bad condition. So where I was at that point was that um, my muscles had completely deteriorated because my body finally stopped absorbing nutrition. And I had these big, these big open skin lesions where toxins were just coming out of my skin. And if you've ever seen anyone go through end-stage cancer, you would know what this looks like or feels like. My lungs were filled with fluid. And if I lied flat, I would choke on my own fluid. So this was happening to me by around January of 2006. This was the condition I was in. I couldn't walk anymore because my legs just didn't have the strength to walk. I weighed about 85 pounds. I was permanently connected to an oxygen tank. And I hated hospitals because hospitals really scared me. I felt so fearful when I was in hospital. So I would go in and out of hospitals. I would go to the hospital for treatment and then I would go back home. At that point, I had accepted, even accepted conventional treatment. But at that point, the doctors had already told my family that it was too late. They said that I was going to die, that I only had a few months to live. Finally, on the morning of February the 2nd, 2006, I went into a coma. And my husband called the doctors because I was at home, and they told him to rush me to the hospital. In the hospital, the doctors told my family that these were my final hours, and now my organs were shutting down. And that was on February the 2nd, 2006. And here I am today, still speaking to you, alive and well and cancer-free. So what I want to share with you is really what happened to me between then and now and what I learned in the hope that maybe it can help you or anyone you know who's going through a situation like this. And I want you to know that if you're going through anything like that, no matter how dire your circumstances, no matter how sick you are, there is always hope because look at me. 
I was dying. I was in fact dead. I was lying there on that hospital bed on my deathbed. And here I am today speaking to you. So this is why I want you to know that there is always hope. I also want you to know that no matter how much pain you're in, no matter how much you're suffering, I understand what you're feeling because I was there. I was there. I was in so much pain and so much suffering. So I know exactly how you feel. But today I'm completely pain-free and cancer-free. So I was mentioning that I was on that hospital bed dying and I was in a coma and the doctors told my family that these were my final hours and my organs had now shut down. Now, unbeknownst to everybody around me, even though my physical body was in a coma and my eyes were closed, I was actually aware of everything that was happening around me. I was aware of all the conversations that were taking place. I was aware of everything the people were saying and doing. I was even aware of what they were doing to my physical body. I was aware of the tubes they were putting into my veins, um, the treatments they were giving me. I was aware uh, that they were removing fluid from my lungs. And I was aware of the conversations they were having. And I could actually see them even though my eyes were closed. But my sight was a different kind of sight from what you normally have with your physical eyes because I wasn't seeing them with my physical eyes. It was as though I was seeing them with my awareness. My sight wasn't like you focus on something with your eyes. It was more like 360 degree peripheral vision. Like I could see, hear and feel everything that was happening all around me at once. It was like my sight was able to see everything all around and I didn't have to turn my head or focus. I was just aware of everything. I know that this is hard to believe and I know it sounds really crazy and strange and you're probably thinking it was the drugs or it was my imagination. And that's fine. I don't need to convince you. I don't need you to be convinced or for you to believe me. You can actually reserve your, belie your beliefs and your judgments. But all I ask is for you to hear me out because I want you to hear what happened subsequently for which I actually have proof for. So subsequently, what continued to happen was that I continued to hear the conversations of everybody that was all around me. And then I felt as though my consciousness was expanding so that I started to become aware of things, not only within the hospital room where my physical body was, but also outside the hospital room, outside down the hallway. And slowly I could hear conversations or I was aware of everything that was happening even outside the hospital building itself. It was like I was expanding bigger and bigger and so I was even aware of the world outside, the city I was in. This was happening to me in Hong Kong, the sky. And I was just getting bigger and bigger. And it was like I became aware of the whole world and the whole universe, if you will. And the next thing I remember feeling was that I felt so light and free 
And for the first time in four years, the four years since I had cancer, the pain was gone. The fear was gone. It just felt incredible. I don't remember ever feeling that way before that. I felt like, like I had my life back. I, I didn't have to worry about choking when I was breathing. There was no wheelchair. There was no oxygen tank. I was just free. I was floating and I was free. And I remember feeling like I was enveloped in a feeling of unconditional love, like total unconditional love, nothing like I'd ever felt in physical life before. It was just the most amazing feeling. In physical life, I'd always felt like I had to work hard to be worthy and deserving of love. But in this state, in this realm, I felt that I was loved just because I existed. I didn't have to do anything. It was like I could relax now. And I was aware that I was dying. I was still aware of everything that was happening around my physical body. I was aware that my family were around me and my family were distraught. And even though I didn't want them to be distraught, I wanted to communicate with them and tell them that I'm okay, I'm feeling amazing. But they couldn't hear me. I really wanted them to know that I was, I was okay, but I couldn't figure out how to communicate that with them. And I knew though, that even though I was dying, that one day they will join me and everything would be fine. So I felt very detached from the scene. I didn't feel like I needed to go back. No part of me wanted to go back into my body. I was feeling so joyful and so light and so uplifted. I then started to notice that there were other beings who were around me. And one of those beings was my dad. And my dad had died 10 years prior. And here he was greeting me. It was like he had come to help me in the dying process. And I was so happy to see him. Even though when I was growing up, I had a turbulent relationship with my dad, it still felt really good to see a familiar person in this other realm. And I want to say here that in that realm, we don't have physical bodies. We are just pure essence because we leave our bodies behind. We leave our bodies, our gender, our race, all of that gets left behind. So here I was in the other realm with my dad and without our physical bodies, we're not communicating by talking because when you talk, you need to use your vocal cords. We have no vocal cords in that realm. So it was like his pure essence and my pure essence merged. And it was like he wanted me to know things and I just knew them. I didn't have to listen to him. He didn't have to string sentences together. It was like when his essence and mine merged, I knew everything he wanted me to know. And there was no room for miscommunication because we didn't have to, there was no language. We didn't have to figure out how to make each other understand anything. Literally, I just knew everything he wanted me to know. And he wanted me to know that he was looking after me and that he had been caring for me and my family ever since he had died 10 years prior. 
And he wanted me to know that he loved me unconditionally. When I was in physical life and when my dad was alive, I didn't always know that he loved me unconditionally because he was really strict. And my parents are Hindu and I grew up in a multicultural society and I went to a Western school. And so my parents and I often clashed. So I always felt that my father was disappointed in me. But here I was with him in the other realm and all I felt from him was pure, unconditional love. It was just amazing because it was like all the beliefs and the culture and everything it had been stripped away from him. All that is part of being here in the physical. We don't take that with us when we cross over into the non-physical. As I continued in the other realm, I started to understand why I had cancer. I started to understand many things about my life. I started to understand how my life worked, how it had gone wrong. I started to understand everything I had done and how every choice and every decision I had made in my life up to that point had led me to getting the cancer. I understood how I ended up being on that hospital bed in that moment in time. I reached a point where I felt my dad wanted me to go back. I also encountered my best friend, the one who had died of cancer, and she wanted me to know that she had been there looking after me. And both she and my dad wanted me to know that I needed to go back. It wasn't my time. But I didn't want to go back. I really didn't because I felt that my body was suffering. I had been suffering. There was no good reason to go back. Even my family had been suffering, taking care of me. So I didn't see any reason to go back. But both my dad and my best friend wanted me to know that I was powerful beyond belief. In fact, we all are, you are, I am. We're all powerful beyond belief, but we've been conditioned to believe that we are small and powerless. But in fact, in that realm, I realized we truly are powerful. And they wanted me to know that I had gifts on this side, which if I didn't go back, I wouldn't be able to claim those gifts. I would be wasting them. They told me that I had already learned my lessons. I'd been through a lot of hardship. I'd been through a lot of pain. And now it was time to come back and claim, and claim some of the lessons or claim some of the gifts. I want to say here once more, I'm not anybody special. I'm just a regular person like you. I'm not a guru or anything. But yet this, this experience just happened to me. I didn't ask for it. It just happened. So they told me to go back to claim my gifts. And I saw visions of things that I would be doing if I came back. I saw a vision of me speaking to thousands of people. And it was like I was seeing my future pan out if I chose to come back into this realm. And in that vision, I was on stage and speaking to thousands of people, but I didn't know how that was going to happen. I didn't even know what I was going to be speaking to these people about. All I knew was that if I go back, knowing who I truly am, now that I've had this experience, knowing the truth, of why I got cancer. If I go back, the cancer would heal 
and I would be addressing thousands of people and I wouldn't have to figure out how to do any of it. It would just unfold before me. That's, that was my understanding. So at that point, I made the decision that I should come back. And that was when my dad and my best friend said to me, now that you know the truth of who you really are, go back and live your life fearlessly. And it was at that point that I started to come out of the coma. And I started to see my family around me, but I was still extremely groggy. I had one foot on each, each side. It was like I was confused as to whether I was in that realm or in this realm. And I started to tell my family that I'm going to be fine. It's not my time to die. Dad is here. Dad just told me I'm fine. Of course, everyone around me thought I was delusional. They thought it was the drugs or something playing with my brain. It was playing with my mind. They called the doctor and the doctor said I was hallucinating. And the doctor said it happens sometimes because of the medication. And the doctor said, but I was still very, very critical that there's no way I was going to survive this. But, um, but in my, uh, he said I was delusional in that I thought I was going to be fine. But I kept insisting that they can take out the breathing machine, the breathing tube, they can take off the heart tubes. I kept insisting and the doctors were fighting me and said, nope, nope, you can't, you can't take that off. You, you're still critical. And they told me to get some rest and they left the room. The next day I got even stronger. I wanted to sit up. I really was breathing without the aid of the oxygen. I started to tell my family of the conversations that were happening around my body when I was in the coma. I told them, I identified the doctor that had removed the fluid from my lungs. I identified the different doctors and nurses that had put tubes into my veins. And everybody was really shocked because they said, your eyes were closed, how could you have seen that? And I said to my husband, that's the doctor that said that these are my final hours and that my organs have shut down. And my husband said, he didn't even say that in the room. He said that down the hallway. There's no way you could have heard it. But I definitely not only heard it, I saw it as well. By four days time, the tumors had shrunk by 70%. The doctors were so shocked they didn't even know what to write in the medical records. They didn't even know what to make of me because they, they said they had never seen anything like that before. They moved me out of the intensive care unit to a regular room, but they continued to take tests. The tests were really painful and I kept fighting them and saying, you don't need to take the tests. I know I'm gonna be fine. They were taking lymph node biopsies and they were taking um, all kinds of different biopsies. They were taking fluid from the back of my, from my spine, and all of it was so painful. Today, I'm so glad that they did all those tests because it just proves it, because I have the medical records today to prove that the healing actually occurred. So within three weeks, they could find no trace of cancer in my body, and they still were stumped. They couldn't explain it. I was still getting stronger every day because I was still quite weak. 
I was building up the strength in my legs so that I could go home and live my life again. And finally, in five weeks, they released me from the hospital to go home and live my life cancer-free. And that was on the 9th of March, 2006. And here I am today, having lived my life. And what I want to share with you is some of the things that I learned while I was in the coma. I want to share with you some of the lessons I learned, some of the key lessons I learned, because I feel it's not the kind of things that you learn outside. You don't learn it from our education system or our medical paradigm. What I learned while I was there as to what caused the cancer, every choice and every decision I made that contributed to me getting cancer, everything I learned was the opposite of what we learn here in physical life. So when I first came out of the hospital and I went home, I was really euphoric. I was really excited because I felt I had discovered something. I understood why I got cancer and I understood why I healed. And I truly believed that the whole world would be interested in knowing what I had to say. So I started sharing. I, I wanted to shout it from the rooftops. I wanted everybody to hear it. But you know what's really surprised me? What surprised me was that I was met with a lot of resistance, a lot of resistance. Uh, and I think it's because everything I was saying was going against everything that people are conditioned to believe. Everything I was saying was going against medical science. It was going against our education system. It was going against a lot of things. And so this is why I was met with a lot of resistance. You see, the thing is, what I was saying was things that were completely different to what people were teaching. When I had gone through the cancer for the four years, I had felt that I had tried everything and really everything. Like I had tried every type of detox, every type of diet, every type of yoga, Ayurveda, everything. But what I discovered in the other realm is that we are not just physical beings. Even when we do all the alternatives, whether we do conventional, whether we do alternatives, we're approaching illness as though it's a physical thing, but actually it's something more. It's something much deeper. And that's what I wanted to talk about. But people truly felt that I was delusional and people weren't ready to listen. But I couldn't keep it inside because I really felt that there was something there that could help somebody because I felt that I know what it feels like to go through what I went through. I didn't like the thought that there are other people going through that for whom this information could be useful. So I felt compelled to share. So I started just by writing, writing and writing and writing, but I started by writing for myself, everything that I went through, because I was actually feeling a little bit um, confused as to how resistant people were, but also frustrated. I felt frustrated because I didn't want to bottle that information up. So I thought, okay, even if nobody listens to it, let me just write it. So I wrote and wrote and wrote. And again, I wrote it just for myself, purely for my own eyes only. After I finished writing it, I remember my brother, he had discovered a website 
called NDERF, that's Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. And it was run by an oncologist. And this oncologist was very open to alternative experiences and people experiencing NDEs, that's near-death experiences. So my brother sent me the link to his website and I started reading the kinds of things that this oncologist, Dr. Jeffrey Long, was into. And so what I did was I submitted my story to him, to his website. Within hours of submitting my story, he wrote back to me and he said, oh my gosh, your story is amazing. Can I publish it on my website? So I told him, yes, please go ahead and publish it, but don't use my full name. Now, because he was an oncologist, he asked me a few medical questions just to verify that it really happened to me. And I answered his medical questions. I even um, sent him, I scanned and emailed him some of the pages of my medical records to show him that it really happened to me, that the healing really happened. And he felt that I really should be dead because nobody comes back from such a late stage of cancer and not so rapidly. He said they can't explain where did all the cancer cells go? How did your, how did your organs go from shutting down to starting up again? What he couldn't figure out is what flicked the switch for your body to go from dying to rejuvenating, to living, something flicked the switch. And that is something that in science and in medicine was unexplainable. So he was very fascinated by my story and he put my story on his website, but, my, um, but we didn't use my full name. It just said Anita M's near-death experience. Now, I had been frustrated from trying to share my story, so I stopped sharing. I then started to try and build my own life in my own way. I realized that because of everything I had learned in the other realm, I was now a different person. I couldn't go back to be the person I used to be. I couldn't go back to the old environment that I used to live in because that was the environment where I got cancer. I'm so grateful that my husband was so supportive of me on this whole journey. He was there with me throughout the cancer journey and even for the journey of integrating the new me who I had now become. I told him that I can't integrate back into the old society, the old community, because people are going to notice I'm a different person. And if I try to be the person I used to be, that was the person that got cancer and I didn't want to be that person anymore. I realized that everything I had been doing was the opposite of what I should be doing in order to have a happy, healthy life. And so my husband and I, we moved out of our old town. We moved out of the neighborhood, the village, the city we were in, and we moved into a completely new neighborhood in a completely different town, but still in the same country. But nobody in my neighborhood knew who I was. They didn't know the me from before. They didn't even know I had had cancer. They didn't know I'd gone through a near-death experience. They knew me as this new person who just moved into their neighborhood. So everybody started to get it, getting to know me. Now, as a new person with none of the old people to anchor me to the old me, I had an opportunity 
to explore and learn who I really was. And this is the first thing that I would invite you to do if you are on a healing journey. It's to really learn and explore who you really are. Who are you if it's not for the people around you? Because what I realized was I had spent a lifetime trying to be what everyone else wanted me to be. I had spent a lifetime being a people pleaser. I was a doormat. I was always trying to do what everyone else wanted me to do. I was always trying to be what everyone else wanted me to be. But now here in this new neighborhood where nobody knew me, I could be who I am because all my previous friends were my friends because I was the person that ran around and did everything for them. I was the person that bent over backwards to please them and to be everything they wanted me to be. And now I realized I could not do that anymore. That was the person who did everything for everyone until she got so drained that she got cancer. And I didn't want to risk doing that again. While I was trying to build up my new life in this new town, my husband and I were looking for ways to start a new company, to start working again, because my husband had lost his job because he had been by my bedside and he didn't know when I was going to die. So he had stopped going into work for the last six months of my illness. And so he got fired from his job. I hadn't worked for a long time because of the illness. So now my husband and I were both without jobs. So we both decided to start our own organization. We still weren't 100% clear what we were going to do, but we knew that we wanted to do something conscious. In the meantime, I hadn't forgotten that during my near-death experience, I, I knew that I was going to be doing something where I was going to be speaking to a lot of people. But I didn't know how to do it or what to do, yet I knew that all I had to do was be myself, honor myself, and love myself. So I just continued on this journey of getting to know who I am. I spent a lot of time alone. I spent a lot of time turning inward and just getting to know who I am. And I didn't force anything. I didn't chase anything. I didn't pursue anything. One of the things I learned is that if we chase and pursue things, then what we're actually doing is that we're sending ourselves the message that we're not good enough to have it. We're not worthy and deserving. So we need to work really hard at proving ourselves and chasing it and pursuing it until we get it. But in actuality, all you have to do is be who you are and whatever is truly yours will come to you. So in the interim, while my husband and I were building up a business, we wanted to build up a business that where we could help people. And so we were developing things online, like online tests for people to get to know who they are, you know, like evaluation tests and things like that. We were working on things like that. And I didn't realize it, but my story, which had been published on the website of Dr. Jeffrey Long, the website called NDERF, my story was going viral. So in the background, my story is going viral on the internet and a lot of people are reading it. 
And I'm just getting on with my life in Hong Kong in a small town, a small village where my husband and I have chosen to start again. One day, out of the blue, I get an email from Hay House. And the email tells me that Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who is an American self-help author and speaker, he has sold over 50 million books. He's actually known all over the world, a very powerful man. I get the email that says, Dr. Wayne Dyer has discovered my story on the internet. And he has contacted his publishers and told his publishers to find me, to track me down, and to invite me to write a book which they will publish and which he will write the foreword to that book. So when I read that email, I'm completely blown away because I never set out to be an author. I never set out to get a book published, but here it was being handed to me. I mean, who gets a book publishing deal handed to them via email? So I wrote back right away and I was crying because it was a confirmation that the things that I had learned from the other side were true. It was a confirmation that what I saw was starting to happen. And I said, oh my gosh, absolutely. I would love to write a book with this story and I would love for it to be published. So the process was just so easy. The next thing they did was they sent me, Hay House sent me a book publishing contract. I signed it. They assigned me an editor who helped me to flesh out my story, and I had to think of a name for the book. And the name I came up with was Dying to Be Me. And the reason for the name is because I literally had to die to be who I am. And that was actually the biggest lesson I learned on the other side, is that each and every one of us comes here to be who we are. We come here to shine our light as bright as we can. But while we're here, it gets conditioned out of us. Our education system conditions it out of us. Each of us are taught to look outside of us for approval. And none of us learn to turn inward. And so the title, Dying to Be Me, I literally had to die to learn that the most important thing was to be who I am. That was the title of the book. And it launched in March of 2012. And when the book launched, Wayne Dyer invited me to come on a tour with him. And he was speaking on stage in front of thousands of people, 3,000 people at a time on stage. And he would be speaking on stage and I would be sitting in the front row because he had invited me from Hong Kong to join him on a tour in the U.S and I'd be sitting in the front row, and then he would tell the audience my story. He would start by saying, there is this woman in Hong Kong who was at end stage of cancer, and then she was on her deathbed, but she had an NDE, and then she healed, and I invited her here, and she's right here, and I'm bringing her on the stage to share her story with you. And the audience would gasp when he said, she's right here, and he would bring me on the stage, and there I was standing on stage in front of 3,000 people at a time. And when I stood there the first time, the first time he brought me on stage, there was this amazing feeling of deja vu because I had seen this very scene when I was on my deathbed, 
when I was in that near-death experience. And the thing is, this was happening to me in 2012 when I was on stage with Wayne Dyer and I got the feeling of deja vu. The near-death experience when I saw that I would be standing on stage was in 2006. When I wrote all the notes, when I wrote my story in 2006, I even wrote that, that I saw I would be standing on stage speaking to thousands of people. That story is still on the website of NDERF. If you were to Google it, Anita M's NDE, and if, if you look for it, and the name of the website is NDERF, that story is still there, published in 2006, where it actually says that I saw myself speaking to thousands of people on stage, but I knew I wouldn't have to do anything to make it happen. It would unfold by itself. All I had to do was to be myself and love myself. And sure enough, it actually started to happen. So my book was launched in March of 2012. And within two weeks, it hit the New York Times bestseller list. Wayne Dyer had invited me to be on his television special. And subsequently, I was then invited to be on different TV shows. I was on Dr. Oz and CNN and so on. And now the book has been published into 45 languages. And I say this not because I've done something great, because I haven't. Honestly, I haven't. The reason I'm saying this is because, interestingly enough, when I started sharing my message, people seemed resistant. And yet, there are so many people that are almost like underground, maybe people who are not willing to admit it, maybe because it's not public knowledge, it's not what science teaches us, it's not what we learn in our education system, but there are a lot of people who seem to be interested in knowing what it is that I learned in the other realm. There seem to be a lot of people who are interested. So let me tell you a little more about what I learned in the other realm. The number one thing I learned is that our inner world, our inside world, what's inside of us is actually real. It's more real and it's more reliable than what we are being fed by the outside world. Unfortunately, because we are constantly bombarded with stimulation from the outside world, that our minds are so cluttered, we can't hear what's coming from the inner world. So that's the number one lesson I learned. And when I was in the other realm, it was like my deceased loved ones and my guides, they wanted me to know that they were there all the time. They were guiding me all the time, but I wasn't listening. That's why I got to the state I was. I wasn't listening. And it's not just me. I'm not special. They're guiding you as well. They're guiding all of you. It's about listening. Do we listen? So really, we need to look at the world from an inside-out perspective, not an outside-in perspective. People seem to believe that information is power, but actually insights are more powerful. And too much information from the outside world is not powerful. In fact, it causes confusion, a lot of confusion. 
And in fact, it causes chaos as well. So sometimes less information is better, more insights are better. When your mind is cluttered, you can't receive information. So you need to reduce the amount of information that you're getting in from the outside. And I'll speak a little bit more about how to do that in a moment. But the first thing I wanted to tell you is that the insights you get are actually more powerful, more valuable, and more reliable than the information you get from the outside. And this applies in every area of your life. So first of all, our education system trains us to focus on the outside. We focus on the teacher, we focus on the books. None of us are taught to pay attention to what's happening inside. In fact, we're told, we're told don't daydream and stop imagining things. In fact, your daydreaming and your imagination are a more reliable source of your happiness or your purpose than what you're being taught in your education system on the outside. It's the complete opposite. In fact, the way that you're being taught, the way you're being conditioned sets you up to fail. It does not set you up to succeed. And in fact, if you can take time off of book learning, if children can take time off of book learning and tutoring and lessons and spend more time in their imagination and in their heads and in their hearts, they will be much, much more successful. So it's the complete opposite of everything you've been told. This inside out also applies when it comes to religion and spirituality. God is not outside of us. Religion cannot be learned from books. It's about tuning in. We are all expressions of God. We are all expressions of the universe. You can call it God, you can call it source, you can call it the universe. Each of us are facets of it. You don't have to pray to some outer being and beg somebody and you don't have to make yourself small to prove yourself. No, loving yourself is the same as loving God because God or source expresses itself through you. Again, we've been taught all the wrong things when it comes to spirituality and religion. And literally, I had to die to realize this. And the, third, the, the other thing to do with the inside out view is that even our medical system, our medical paradigm teaches us that illnesses are physical. They aren't. They start in the metaphysical. They start on the inside. You have to tune in to, fig to find out what is your medical issue, your health challenge, what is it trying to tell you? You always have to tune in. And the biggest determining factor for the quality of your life is actually your will to live, your reason for being here. That is the biggest factor. It's got nothing to do with drugs. It's got nothing to do with diagnostic tools. It's got nothing to do with the quality of our hospitals. It's about your will to live, you feeling that you are on purpose. Those are the things that determine the quality of your health and your life. It starts on the inside. All of it starts on the inside. And that is the biggest illusion that you have been taught is that the outside world is real. When you are taught that the outside world is real, what happens is that you react 
to everything that's on the outside. So your life is spent reacting. When you realize that actually your inside world is what creates your outside experiences, what you then realize is that I create my experiences. I create my life. I create my world instead of I react to my world. I react to my life. That's the difference. Inside out means you create. Outside in means you react. That's the biggest difference. So everybody has been taught this illusion that the outside world is what we have to react to. And what has ended up happening is that all of us are living in fear and fear suppresses our immune system. And all our governments have us living in fear. Our education system has us living in fear, fear of failing, fear of not getting the right job if we don't take the right courses. Everything is done from fear. Our medical paradigm is all about fear of illness. All they do is focus on illness. It's not about health. Our medical paradigm is not health focused. Now, you know, I may not be a doctor. I may not even be a scientist, but I've had a firsthand experience, which most doctors and scientists haven't had. And all I can do is figure out how to share it with you in the best way that I can. And the only reason I share it is because I truly feel that there's something there that might help some of you. If I had to summarize and just break it down into, let's say, even three lessons, I would say the first lesson is to realize that we live in an inside-out world and not an outside-in. So always pay attention to what's going on inside and create your reality, create your experiences, don't react to them. If you have children, encourage them to also do the same. Encourage them to have a rich inner world as opposed to a rich outer world. When we think the outer world is what creates our experiences, we start to go after things to fill in the hole that's here. We start to go after material things, you know, the clothes, the brand names, the big cars, and none of them really fill that hole because we don't realize that actually the only way to fill it is through tuning into our rich inner world, listening to the guidance, and, having, and being fulfilled by the messages that come through. The guidance is there all the time, but we don't listen to it. That would be the number one lesson I learned. The number two lesson I learned was that I have to love myself. Loving myself is the same as loving God or loving source because I am an extension of God or source. I am an expression of God. We came here to shine our light and be who we are. I grew up believing that loving myself was selfish. I grew up believing that I had to give and give of myself and that I couldn't take care of myself. I believed that it, it, it was egocentric to love myself. It took death for me to realize that in fact, I have to love myself like my life depends on it because it does, it really does. All of us, we need to love ourselves and love our lives. In fact, the people who are the most selfish, who are the most egotistical, 
are the ones who don't love themselves. They're trying to fill a void and they do that by trying to get attention externally. They do that by trying to get other people to love them. They need to praise themselves and make themselves bigger than they are. But when you know who you truly are, you don't need to prove yourself. When you know that you're worthy, that you're worthy of good things, when you know that because you are an expression of God and because you came here to be who you are, when you know it, you don't need to prove yourself. You really don't. You don't need to convince anyone of anything because you just are happy in being who you are, doing what you came here to do. If you spend your lifetime trying to pr prove yourself, or like me, I was a people pleaser. I was a doormat. I was trying to be everything that everyone else wanted me to be. I spent a lifetime doing that. And by doing that, we deprive the world of who we came here to be. That's why it's so important for you to be who you are. You set an intention even before you came into this world, even before you were born, that this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to accomplish. Unfortunately, the paradigm we live in is so strong. It's structured in such a way that we, it's very easy to fall into the trap of getting your pure intentions, which you came with, it's so easy to fall into the trap of getting that conditioned out of you. This is why when I came back from being born again in 2006, I couldn't go back to the old environment because it's so easy to fall into the trap of being that person I used to be. I had to separate myself to put into practice everything I had learned in this other realm. When I first came back in 2006, I thought, why did I have to die to learn this? Why didn't I know this? Why, don't, why aren't we born knowing this information? And then I realized we are born knowing this information, but we have set up our paradigm in such a way that it gets conditioned out of us. It totally works against us and it sets us up to fail. In order to succeed, we really have to separate ourselves from this particular paradigm that has been created. And I realize that, that we are born knowing this information, but we forget because of our society, because of our culture, because of the beliefs that get imprinted onto us and passed onto us by our parents, our teachers, and so on. So if we don't want to continue to pass this down, we really do have to figure out a way to set ourselves apart from what is actually being taught and being shared and being spread as the current paradigm. So that was the second most important thing I learned, is to love myself enough to know that I don't have to conform. I don't have to conform with society. I don't have to go back and live the life I used to live. I don't have to please everybody. I'm certainly not somebody who hurts anyone. In fact, my only intention is to help people because I truly believe that what I discovered will help people if they give it a chance. But because so many people make money off of doing the way they do things, they make money off the current medical system and the government system and the education system, it's too hard to change. 
It's not that they're greedy. It's not that they mean anything wrong, but it's more like they're afraid to change it. They're afraid they will lose what they have. When we don't love ourselves, the lack of love creates fear. Fear is not something in and of itself. It doesn't exist. Fear is the lack of love. And today, if you look at our planet, our planet is full of fear. And what we do is we fight fear. We fight fear with more fear. And we increase the size of our armies because we fear our, we fear our enemies. We increase the size of our governments. We increase the size of our borders and our walls because we feel fear. So we fight fear with fear. In actuality, the antidote to fear is not more fear. The antidote to fear is love. The only way that you can eliminate fear is to increase love because fear is like darkness and you can't eliminate darkness with more darkness. You can't fight darkness by adding more darkness. You can only eliminate darkness by adding light. And that's the only way to eliminate fear. It's to increase love. And the best way to increase love is to start by loving yourself. And when you filled the hole that is here within here, when you fill that with love, the person you take out into the world with you is a person of love. And that is how you will touch other people. We need to increase love. So my lesson number two was to love yourself like your life depends on it. The third thing I learned is that we have to frequently take a break from this world, from the information of this world, to allow for information to come down to us that is uniquely for us. And I call that an information detox. So what I usually invite you to do, and in fact, this is a little bit of an exercise, um, I would invite you to maybe take yourself or remove yourself from all external information or stimulation for like 24 hours, 48 hours, or, or even three days if you possibly can. But you can start with 24 hours and remove yourself from all external devices and from your social media and from the news. And here's what happens is that when you remove yourself from all this external stimulation, your mind starts to go quiet. Up until now, your mind is cluttered because we've become a society that's unable to even have five minutes of silence without feeling uncomfortable. So I want you to start becoming comfortable in silence. What's happened since my near-death experience is silence has become my best friend. I used to think I was a very social person. Today, I love being alone. I love my own company. I need to be alone to recharge my batteries. When you're alone or when you have silence or when you uh, make a commitment to take yourself off of all, your, all of your devices, then you can either stay in a room, listen to music, or you can go for a walk in nature. It's always wonderful to go for a walk in nature. But the thing that I invite you to do, and this is something I learned from being on the other realm, because they're always listening, is you can ask them questions. You can actually say, 
How do I deal with this? How do I handle this? And then stop looking for information outside. The natural thing that you tend to do, which is what I used to do, is every time I had a problem, I would research information on the internet. I was constantly researching the internet. I was obsessive about researching. Now I realize that all that information is not power. That information is confusing. And I don't go onto the internet anymore. I go onto the internet. The internet is much more powerful than the internet. So what you do is you get off all your devices, you stop researching, and you just take a time out. And you set that question, how do I deal with this? It could, be a, it could be anything. It could be a relationship issue. It could be an issue with, um, with your children, your spouse. It could be a financial issue. It could be anything like that. It could be because you're feeling lonely or grieving. You could be grieving the passing of a loved one. It could be anything, really. No question is too silly or too small. Set that question in your mind and then stop looking for the answer. Let it go. Just let it go. And you can either listen to music, go for a walk in nature, sit on the beach, look at the ocean waves, anything like that. Just clear your mind, focus on your breath if you like, anything like that. And the answer will actually come to you. You will get some clarity, you'll get some insight, and you'll know it's the answer because it'll feel good. And here's a clue. If any information comes to you that feels scary, that's your imagination. That's not truth. That is not truth. That is your mind. Any information that comes from our higher self or our guidance systems or God or whatever we want to call it, any information that comes from there always feels good. It feels liberating. It feels freeing. It makes us feel expansive. Any information that is a mind creative. So this is how you can tell. This is how you can tell if you are just imagining it or if it really is your guidance system. If it feels fearful, if it makes you feel constrictive, small, uh, anything like that, then it's, it's something that you're just imagining, your mind is creating it. So always remember that. If it's expansive, it's coming from up there. And very often you can tell they're the kinds of things that you would never think of. It's an idea or an insight that you would normally never think of. And the kinds of things that feel fearful are the kinds of things that you do normally think of because we have no idea how powerful we really are and what we're truly capable of doing. Now, what I'd like to do before I finish off is I'd like to give you a short little meditation, just a little teaser of the kinds of things I do, because I have created a more extensive video course for you, but I would like you to experience a short version of my meditation. What I tend to do with people is I like to take you on your own journey, your own near-death experience, so that you don't have to go through what I went through. I don't want you to have to die to learn what I learned. So let me take you on just a little five-minute meditation um, on just having a little experience of your own. So how about if you sit comfortably right now and just put both your feet on the floor 
and sit in any way that feels comfortable to you. Try not to cross your legs and put your hands on your lap and close your eyes. Just close your eyes and I want you to feel your muscles completely relaxing. I want you to imagine all the tension that's in your muscles just dissolving and melting away, especially around your neck area, your jaw, your back, your buttocks. Just feel it just all dissolving away. Now, I want you to imagine that you're lying in a bed, in a beautiful room. It's a beautiful room with beautiful surroundings, with beautiful flowers and nice curtains. And you're lying on this nice bed, which is really comfortable. But you're aware that this is the final day of your life. You're aware that you are about to enter into the unknown, the unknown of death. And you're about to take your final breath. And before you do, I want you to look back on your life. And I want you to think about how you have lived your life. Are you happy with everything you see? Do you have any regrets? Is there anything you wish you did? Are there things you wished you didn't do? Now I want you to take a deep breath and visualize yourself stepping into the abyss that we call death. And you see that your surroundings are absolutely beautiful and expansive and you are surrounded by beautiful beings who have only nothing but unconditional love for you. And they tell you, you have nothing to be afraid of, nothing at all. There is no judgment on this side, only love. You are safe. You are very, very safe. We love you and we are guiding you. Now I want you to think about what it was that you regretted when you were leaving your life. What were the thoughts 
that came into your head when you were thinking about what you wished you had done more of. Bring those thoughts to the forefront of your mind. What do you wish you would have done more of? Who do you wish you showed more love to? Now, I want you to visualize what you feel you should have done. What would it take for you not to have any regrets? What do you wish you would have done more of? As you see yourself doing more of that, you now see your loved ones who are surrounding you in this realm, they're coming forward and they are telling you, it's not your time to die. It's not your time to die. You can go back and you can fulfill those dreams. You're getting another chance to fulfill them so that you can leave one day with no regrets at all. And in that moment, you realize, wow, I'm getting an opportunity to go back and live my life so that I won't have any regrets. And, and in your mind's eye, you start to see yourself waking up again in that beautiful room, in that beautiful bed, with a clear vision of what you want to do with the rest of your life. And now slowly, I want you to feel yourself coming back into your body and feel your fingers and your toes and you can open your eyes and you have a chance to live your life over again with no regrets. Thank you so much for spending the last hour or so listening to what I had to say. I really hope you enjoyed it and got something out of it. If you did enjoy it, and if you do feel you got something out of it, I'd love to invite you on a journey with me, sort of an experiential journey um, via video, where I actually go a lot deeper into much of what I've spoken about here. In this journey, I actually take you on a much longer meditation so that you can experience your own near-death experience. I've also put together a lot of practical tools on how to apply the things that I talked about into your life. Because this happened to me 12 years ago. And over these 12 years, 
I have been putting this into practice. And I've also been trying to refine the language I use. And I have seen it actually work in my own life so that I myself am living the life that I love. I mean, today, I really love what I do. I love helping people, but I also love what I do. And the way that I work is that I help people, but I feel energized helping you. And I know a lot of people out there, you, you love helping people, but a lot of you get very drained from helping people. And yet you want to be someone who contributes to the planet. And I feel I've discovered a way to do that. And I couldn't have done that without the experience I had. But not only that, when I tried to share my story 12 years ago, I didn't necessarily have the right language or the right way to express it to people. But by applying it in my own life over these 12 years, I've really learned how to express it. I've learned from talking to other people how they can apply it in their lives. And that's what I've done with this particular journey and course that I would like to take you on. I've really put everything I've got into it and I truly hope that you'll join me on this. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Commune Podcast with Anita Morjani. If you'd like to go deeper with Anita, check out her course titled Live Fearlessly with a free Commune membership trial. Just go to onecommune.com trial to sign up. Through video lessons, guided visualizations, and worksheets, Anita guides you toward loving yourself as if your life depends on it, because it does. When love, rather than fear, determines your life, you will recognize what is truly important for you to be happy and healthy. You will learn how to replace doubts and insecurities with trust and confidence and come away believing you really do have the power to choose your life. Once again, for that full program, go to onecommune.com trial and join membership free for 14 days. That's all from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you. Thank you.